Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the Wild Tales podcast. My name is Jason Fox and on this podcast I'm going to be speaking to some inspirational people about their lives and adventures and looking at issues like resilience, mental strength, risk taking and nature. A lot basically. The podcast is presented by the Book of Man and supported by Talisker, the single malt whiskey made by the sea. My guest today is Dwayne Fields. Dwayne is an adventurer, a naturalist and presenter was born in Jamaica but grew up in inner city London where he was caught up in gang culture and was a victim of gun and knife crime. After one brush with death he decided to change his life and work at his first love which was nature and wildlife. He has since become a renowned explorer becoming the first black British man to walk to the magnetic north pole and he also works with taking underprivileged city kids to experience the countryside and nature. He was awarded the freedom of the city of London for this. We talk about this and a lot more, and I hope you enjoy it. Dwayne, thanks for coming in to the court on Kingley Street. Absolutely welcome, Jace. Apparently, this was called Bag of Nails. And um, this is where Paul McCartney met Linda. Oh, really? And it's also Jimi Hendrix has played on that stage. Oh, really? Yeah. So now I feel compelled to go on that stage and play so I can say I played on the same stage as Jimi Hendrix. I mean... I can't play very good. Oh, I was going to say. like crap. I can't play. Not even like Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. See, I'm intimidated by the fact that Jimi Hendrix has played on that. No, I'm not. I'm encouraged by it. (laughs) Are you okay? There we go. We're already different people. There's some residual talent on the the stage, yeah. (laughs) Well, that you might pick up. Yeah, you'd never know. Yeah, yeah, could, could happen. Right, okay, so we're here to talk about resilience, really, and, and where you find that from and how you sort of use it in what you do. But obviously it's more interesting to go right back from right back to the start, really. Oh, gosh, that's a um, long time now. Originally from Jamaica. Yep. What can you remember about life in Jamaica? Do you know, it's funny, because I, I came to this country and I was six years old, just before I turned seven, and I remember most of like my life prior to that time really yeah yeah i do i remember it just like it was yesterday honestly i remember the house we lived in i remember the color it was when i was two years old i remember the layout i remember the gardens i remember the trees the roots through the forests i remember the the roots through the fields i remember where the river and the streams were i remember it all see i can't i can't remember that far back in no? my life. I, I, I can remember from probably eight onwards yeah. i can remember school holidays mm. And where we'd go as a family, but I genuinely cannot remember before then. Wow, I'm I'm a little bit of the opposite. So I don't remember much from about seven till about eleven, twelve. There's moments I remember really well, mm. but generally most of it, it's like it's a blur. Prior to do that, you, everything's. Clear. Do you think because I take it your your memories of Jamaica are brilliant? Yeah, yeah. 
do you think that has something to do with it um, yeah, well, you've got something called a flashbulb memory, don't you? So when right. something big happens, like if I said to you, Jace, where were you when 9-11 happened? Yeah. You'd probably remember that. Yeah. Tell me about your wedding day. You'd remember that. Those yeah, are yeah. moments that are poignant. And I just don't remember many poignant moments um, from about age, like I said, seven up until about age 12, 11, 12. So what was, what's the contrast between your life in Jamaica oh, and then your young years yeah. in London? I think the main contrast was I every day was an adventure and every day was a new experience and every day was fun and I felt encouraged and I felt like, you know, the world is out there to be conquered and it felt like every single day I left the house as a three, four, five, six year old kid yeah. and I conquered a bit of the world. That's what I felt like. So every day to me was poignant. See, I, I mean, I've got I've never been to Jamaica. Yeah. I'd love to go. I've been to the Caribbean, but not Jamaica, and mm-hmm. it's definitely the one of the island that I want to go to. But yeah. why did you move to London? Why did so your parents move? My mum, my mum was actually born in London. She was born in Brixton. Right. Um, her mum died when she was quite young, so she spent a lot of time in Jamaica as a kid, and she was backwards and forwards. And when she became pregnant with me, um, she stayed there, had me, and then came back to London. Okay. To carry on, you know, working to support the family back there and all the rest of it. And um, I just remember one day my great aunt reading a letter, which was directed to my grand, my great grandma. Um, I know it sounds all, you know, conflicted. <laughs> so my great aunt read my great grandma's letter, which was saying, you know, it's time for him to to come now or to go, whichever way around it was. And I think my sister, she was already here in London. She already came over here a year or so before I did. And it was just my turn now because, first of all, my great-grandma was getting really old. She couldn't support yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, a growing boy in the house. So it was about me coming to live with my mum, uh, oh, right, as, okay. as you should do. Yeah, okay, I see, mm-hmm. I see. yeah. So your grandma was like that. Yeah. <laughs> He's too active. Get, He's rid- too, like, get, get, go. get him out of here. <laughs> but yeah. funny enough, she was the one that made me feel like it was absolutely okay to be as active and energetic and wild and free as I was. Every time I got hurt, I'd run to granny. Every time I found a new animal, I mean, I was outside all the time hunting. Yeah, yeah. I say hunting. I'd find something. I'd discover a new animal. I'd bring it home. Wouldn't know if it's dangerous or if it's safe. I'll just bring it home. Yeah. And granny was the one I'd go to. I'd say, granny, look what I found. What's this? Most of the time, she'd just say, get that away from me or get it out of the house <laughs> but generally it was like okay good I'm glad you're interested in that go and do it over there and it made me feel like okay keep doing this it's okay to do this it's not a bad thing it's not a wrong thing to do mm. and Jamaica's obviously I mean I've not been there but it is quite it's a colourful place isn't oh, it's it it's beautiful it's, like, it's yeah. beautiful you could spend so where I lived I lived in a really rural part of Jamaica so uh, if you imagine an egg on its side yeah. I lived roughly about where the middle of that egg is Okay, the, the middle of the egg um it's a place called Linstead. It's the nearest town to me, actually. And we lived a, f- a few kilometers outside of Linstead in a really wooded area. I remember I would eat breakfast and I'd be outdoors playing all day long. And there would be an abundance of fruit to pick. And yeah. it, you couldn't go hungry in that country. I've never heard of anyone starving to death in Jamaica. It just, th- th- there's food bursting off of every tree. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Yeah. And then obviously the contrast. Oh, the contrast. <laughs> Seven, London. So. <laughs> The thing is, when I came to London, I didn't realize how different London was going to be. Um, and let me let me give you a, a little story. So when I was in Jamaica, I remember this one instance where I saw a parrot flying to a termite's nest in a tree. And I was like, oh, what's that? 
and that's that's how a lot of the problems in my life started by me saying "Ooh, what's that yeah and i'd climb the tree <laughs> put my hand in this termite's nest thinking there's something in there that keeps the parrot coming back so i put my hand in there and i pulled out this baby parrot and i went to climb back onto the tree fell into an into a bush below the nest and I was attacked by hornets, which were nesting below it, because birds in, in tropical areas tend to build their nest next to an animal that can protect their nest. Yeah. So I fell into this tree, into this bush, and I was stung from head to toe by hornets, ran home, still had a baby parrot. That was okay <laughs> behavior for Jamaica. When I first came here, I saw a nest. It, was, it turns out it was a squirrel's nest. We don't have squirrels in Jamaica. <laughs> I remember I climbed the tree. Is it like an oak tree, a horse chestnut, whatever it was. And I remember climbing this tree and I was all the way up. I knew I was doing something wrong because people started to gather at the bottom. And <laughs> they were just interested they were, yeah, in this they were, kid they were, that was like, what? <laughs> they were like, little boy, are you okay? And in a Jamaican accent, I'd say, no, I'm fine. This is something that I've done many times before. <laughs> I'm an expert. <laughs> I'm an expert. And I remember rooting around in this, this tuft of leaves in the tree. And I pulled out this baby squirrel. And there's a picture of me drifting around somewhere on the internet when I was like six, seven years old holding this baby squirrel. Now, that was unusual behavior for the UK but it was perfectly normal and that just tells you how different this world was to where I was coming from and how at that time at that age I didn't understand how different this world was at all we were walking past the shop and I reached out to pick up a fruit and my mum slapped the back of my hand and said what are you doing I said it's, it's an apple <laughs> she's like I don't have money for that and I thought but it's an apple it, it's, it's free it grows on trees so that's how big the contrast was yeah. I was told here oh no don't play out the front in Jamaica, there isn't a front or back. It's, it's just a play area. Yeah, yeah. Everything's a play area. Everywhere's a play area. And again, uh, uh, just, tonight, just to give you an indication of how different the world was, I was the master of everything I surveyed in Jamaica. As a kid, y you probably remember just being free and just being, yeah. That's, that looks great, I'm going over there. That looks great, I'm going over there. And to have restrictions such as don't go out when I'm not here, don't play in the back or don't play out the front just go in the back and oh before you go out make sure you put this 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 and this in Jamaica it's just go we don't do like an equipment check before we go outside <laughs> that's it it's just, it's just free go. run yeah. free reign of the entire island Absolutely. wherever you can make it if you can make it there and back by sunset <clears throat> it's yours go we've we've like so you you came basically you came over when you were seven you're in London Hack where did, was it Hackney no, so we first uh, settled in, I think it was Archway for a couple of weeks, right, okay. and then we moved to Palmer's Green for about two or three years. Yeah. And then in the early, I think it was 91, 92, we moved into Stokey, East London, Hackney. Okay, so how, how old are you then? I would, 10, have, been, I would have been about nine, nine. nine when we settled there. And then... What was your experiences of growing up in the city? You know, what like, at that stage, you know, when you moved to Hackney. So you, you've, yeah. you've done your, like, transitional sort of period yep. as, a, as a really young lad. Yep. And then you've, you've moved to Hackney. Yep. You're starting to become an influenced person, I suppose, from everything that's going on around you, whether it's in school or on the street corners. I was influenced before I got to Hackney. Oh, really? Um, the first lie I ever told in this world, I told um, in school. And it was because I realised that I was in a completely different place that I didn't understand and I felt out of place and this yeah. is in infant school <coughs> so it's infant school and I'm seven years old I'm struggling to make friends this is in Palmer's Green yeah. before we moved to Hackney I'm struggling to make friends and I decided the way I'm going to make friends is I'm going to you know tell these kids about something I understand I love the natural world I love insects I love animals I love birds so 
I went into the school garden and I rooted around and found a whole load of different insects and animals that I could put in my hands. And I ran over to a group of kids in, 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 in the playground. And I was about to, you know, just look at this. This is a wood lice and she carries her babies on her stomach. And look at this one, it's a, you know, centipede. And of course they all screamed and ran away and left me standing in the middle of the playground holding a handful of dirt and insects. And that's when I realized that, Dwayne, you know what? Maybe you being you doesn't work so well. Just keep your head down, keep quiet, and don't do anything to draw attention to yourself. In class, uh, it must have been a couple of days or maybe a week later. I don't really have a good concept of time at the time. But um, my teacher said, we're going to draw our favorite TV characters. In Jamaica, we never had electricity in our house. Yeah, we never yeah. had running water. We never had gas. I didn't know what TV character was. You didn't need um, it either. Didn't need it. <coughs> didn't need it. You're right. And I remember I copied from the kid next to me. And it was the most painful thing when my teacher came over and said, Oh, that's an amazing drawing. What is it? <laughs> All I knew about this drawing was it was Popeye. It was a poor drawing copied from a person who yeah, wasn't yeah. a very good drawer anyway. So I knew she was lying. It wasn't a good drawing. And <laughs> I was dying inside thinking, please don't ask me anything else about this character because I just don't know. And then it will show everyone that I'm, I'm a liar and I don't know and I don't have a TV or I don't know TV characters. So at that point, I, that was the first time I ever lied. I said, it's Popeye. He's my favorite. And at that moment was where... I was now changed. I was I was a changed person. First time it I worked learned. for you as well, I suppose. Yeah, it? it exactly. got you out of that sort it got me out of that of awkward situation. Yeah. And it just it that behaviour, that pattern of just do what everyone else does, just whatever it takes to fit in, just do that and keep your head down. I carried that from age seven all the way through uh, moving to Hackney, all the way through to being sixteen, seventeen, eighteen years old. So when when did it all? I mean, you've had some pretty. You've been involved in some pretty sticky situations. When yeah. when did that? How did that? How did that come about? How did you know? How did you sort of like get into those situations? And what was life like as a teenager mm. in Hackney? I've been conflicted for most of my life. Every time someone said, "Dwayne, let's you know, we're going to the park or we're going to West End," I I, I was conflicted because I'd like, well, to be honest, I'd rather be doing something up a hill or in a mountain or in wood somewhere or doing something buildings, but I'd say yes, and that created a bit of conflict and then they'd say let's go left and I'd think oh actually I want to go right but I'd go left because I want to keep my head down and be part yeah, of the yeah. group I don't want to be the outsider so I was conflicted quite a lot and I remember one of my friends um, one of my friends was having this video thing this media project he was working on in a in an estate not too far from my house but it's not an estate that I frequented and we went down there and this is the first time I was stabbed we went down there and we were doing this music project and some local boys came into the hall and they kind of said, oh, what's going on? Sure enough, he said, look, it's fine. We're doing a music project. It's a, just a scene that we're shooting. Uh, you're welcome to stay if you want to and just be part of it. As soon as the music came on, they started pushing around and just being, in, being a bit of asses. Yeah, yeah. And um, eventually he said, look, I'm going to shut it down. You guys wait for me outside. I'll just pack up and come out. So it was me and three of my friends uh, we were waiting by the car and these boys came and approached my friend by the car so I got him into the car and I went back for my other two friends uh, and instead of following him they followed me uh, I met with two of my friends they followed us we cut us off from the car basically we started to walk a kind of long roundabout way to get him back around to my friends and eventually they grew in numbers so they went from about 7 or 8 to about 12 or 13 and they started chasing us obviously we ran 
and at one point we stopped when we got to the car uh, they came out of a side road and for some reason I just seemed like the perfect target so five or six of them approached me and I just stopped I said look I'm not running anymore and I faced dead in the eye of the one that seemed to you know put himself forward as the leader I said I'm not running anymore and he goes why are you a bad man I said well I'm not really a bad man I'm just tired and plus these trainers they're brand new and they're hurting my foot <laughs> now I, I was always a bit of a clown so I'd say something stupid <laughs> yeah. in, in that maybe it's best not to say <laughs> so I always try to add a little bit of like levity to any kind of situation because I, I feel like it's no point being in a crap situation and being miserable and crap about it as well so it's like well I'm not really scared but my, it was some Adidas toes. It was like my Adidas shell toes. They're, they're kind of hurting right now. Um, I'm not going to run anymore. And as soon as I said that, one of them kind of pushed forward, and I went to back away, and I ended up getting stabbed in my lower stomach. Um, I was lucky, and I said I was lucky. Um, it went through my belt buckle, and it went in about inch, inch or so. Didn't hit anything major. Um, by this time, my friend's older brother, who saw us running, jumped into his car and came down. And he, he kind of said, get in the car. So I'm holding my stomach and trying to get into the car. And at the time, it felt like a punch. Yeah. But it went straight in there and went straight across. And I could just hear him and the other one in the front seat saying, oh, my God, he's passing out. He's passing out. And at the time, I just looked at him. I said, no, it's fine. It doesn't even hurt. And I remember holding it. And we stopped at a bus stop, uh, called an ambulance. And uh, just remember being in an ambulance and making my way up to Whittington Hospital getting a few stitches and the next day it was history yeah and um the next incident which probably is the most poignant one for me was the day when i had the guy pull a gun on me and the biggest problem with that incident was i mean these these are a year two years apart these incidents. yeah yeah so um, how old were you in just quickly how yeah, old were you on the, the stabbing i was, when you I got was probably about 18 19 the truth is i couldn't tell you what the weather was like the day i got stabbed yeah yeah but I can tell you, I can still remember the faces of the people that did it. Mm -hmm. And I can still remember the, the expressions on my <coughs> friends' faces. And none of us, none of us ever carried knives. It's mm. just not our thing. It's, I've always, I, I've boxed, I've done a bit of Wing Chun. I've always been, if I've ever had an incident or had an altercation, I've always been, okay, I'll use my hands. Mm -hmm. Always, never, never once have I carried a knife. And I remember this incident where... I built this moped, built it from scratch, absolute scratch. I spent three, four months building this thing, test drove it, crashed because I didn't build it properly. I turned <laughs> left and the steering wheel went right. And, um, and I rebuilt it. Then I said to my younger brother, you test drive it, it's built properly, I promise. And <laughs> <laughs> Send him in as the canary. We all, yeah, of course you do. That's what we all do to our siblings. That's what they're there for. Yeah, yeah, it's true. So um, I remember I built this thing and he went for a test drive on it. And some boys in a neighboring estate pushed him off of it. And it's probably something you should never do, which is walk onto an estate and demand anything, mm. whether it's yours or not. You don't walk up to seven, eight, nine guys and say, yeah, I'm taking that back. So anyway, I marched onto this estate and I said, look, it's my bike, I'm taking it back. And at this point, I wasn't fearful. I just remember being more angry than I ever was before. And I think I was more angry because they pushed my younger brother off of it. Yeah, yeah. And I put blood, sweat and tears into that, Jace. I put I put a lot of energy I put time I put money I put effort yeah. into it I was in that shed when it was freezing cold building this bike um, when it crashed I scraped my side my knee my elbow I scraped myself up and I put everything I had into it and for them to take it 
well for them to push him off of it to take it was out of order isn't it it, it was different it mm. was a different feeling to anything that I'd experienced before I've had bicycles stolen I've been robbed before it's never felt this personal before and I remember I marched on there and I kind of grabbed hold of the bike and I said yeah I'm taking it sure enough these guys were there and they were tearing it apart and for the most part I think they didn't expect it it's not like I was known as you know some tough guy in the area for the most part I just said I'm taking it and they said yeah take it it's crap anyway so I looked around and I was picking up all the bits and pieces that they'd taken off of it and I remember seeing this one kid and he had one little plastic panel which was insignificant in the grand scheme of things but I just wanted it back because it was mine and I went and I snatched it out of his hands and as I've done that and turned to walk away he's pushed me so I turned around and I pushed him back which is stupid because at this point I was up I was winning I'd got my bike back I hadn't been beaten up I was winning it's what you do though yeah. you know what I mean when you're antagonised yeah. yeah exactly so he pushed me and I turned around and I pushed him back and I think he stumbled in a way which made him feel a bit small in front of his friends and he walked away and I thought that was the end of it and I bent down picking up all the bits and pieces in my younger brother thinking it's about to be over I'm going to walk off this estate everything's fine and I turn around this guy's got a loaded gun well he's got a gun I don't know if it's loaded or not he's about four or five meters away from me and I just remember him raising the gun and I kind of stood up and I pushed my brother to the side I didn't even push him I just ushered him to the side and I stepped away and before I could say you don't have to do that I just heard click and it's the weirdest thing because when you're looking down the barrel of a gun like it's it sounds so stupid maybe me telling you this but when you're looking when i was looking down the barrel of that gun any sound that i heard sounded like that gun going off yeah like it sounds so stupid for me to say if i heard a car horn in the distance it sounded like the gun going off and even now it's making me feel like oh but you're the thing is he's holding that there he's holding it there and you're expecting it to go bang so your mind will make it go bang exactly so when when i've heard click and he's cocked it back and I've seen a bullet come out the side and I've heard click again I'm certain that that's it I've been shot uh, before he could do it a third time um, some of the guys that was there kind of grabbed him and said ah it's not worth it and took him away and on the way back home I remember stopping three or four times and just checking that hold on like let me just check that I didn't get a, a, you know, a stray bullet or something and by the time I got home, I checked my phone and there's people saying, oh, Dwayne, we heard what happened. What are we going to do? Let's get this guy. Let's get yeah, this guy. Yeah. And at that point, I remember thinking, do you know what? I don't want to get him. I'm all right. I'm here. If I go after him, I'm going to get him. I have to live with it. Get him, end up in jail, or he's going to get me. Um, don't want any of those, to be honest. Um, and it's, I just It's, it's tiring, yeah. though, isn't it? Revenge it is. and all that it sort is. of like it is. escalating the yeah. violence just seems to seems to me I mean you know from where I've come from yeah, yeah. it just I'm, I'm I'm sort of done with all that sort of stuff yeah. so I, sh- I'm, I can totally get where you come from but I mean it was great that you realised it at that stage and not when it was too late I'd say yeah I think at that stage I spent so much of my life listening to people and doing what was expected mm-hmm. so you know like I said before someone say let's go down there instead of up there and it's like it's, it's expected that as part of the group you'd say yes yeah, yeah. and I just thought to myself I can't do this anymore but I think a lot of a lot of that um, doing what the others is, are doing, the other people that maybe you don't want to do, you're looking for a sense of belonging. You want to belong to the people that are around you, and I think that's why you do it, isn't it? Absolutely. And and, and you want to fit in, even if you you don't want to fit in. But then obviously, what happened after that? 
so after that i decided um and and you're right because the human condition is that we want to be part of a society or some part of a community it's, it's the human condition we all want to be we're a social animal yeah um we all support a team that's our team that's our unit that's our in group and I never wanted to be the one on the outside and I learned from really really young I didn't want to be on the outside because yeah. I didn't like how it felt not knowing things and not having friends and being um, stressed and isolated I didn't like it so after this incident now I went back home and I started to really just evaluate where I was and what it was that I was going to stand for anyway I left um, I thought yeah I want to do something to tell everyone that I've changed my perspective I want to do something to show everyone that you know you don't have to toe the line mm. anyway I didn't know what I wanted to do and a friend of mine was shot and killed about 25 meters from where that happened to me a couple a year and a half or so later and the idea to do something just it just manifested itself again it was like no you need to do something because it's getting closer and closer and closer um and i didn't want it to happen to my brother mm. i didn't want it to happen to anyone that i knew so anyway i said yeah i need to do something so i did a i did a, a little marathon i did a three peaks challenge to raise some money for some some organization up in the midlands i looked for charities that i could support so i did a, a little marathon and raised some money for a, a charity called mothers against violence or mothers yeah. against guns but it was just never enough and i just didn't feel like it was enough and what it was when i did that three peaks challenge that very first three peaks just, challenge just quickly i've got to yeah. stop you there the three peaks challenge yeah. is nails yeah, yeah. so yeah. it's quite a lot it's it's, no, like, it's tough it's and the free <laughs> for anyone that doesn't know it's the three highest peaks in the uk and that's ben nevis scarfell pike in the lake district and mount snowden in yep. north wales yep. and you've got to do it including the travel yes. in 24 hours exactly it's a lick and you 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 start to discover new muscles that you didn't <laughs> know you had before <laughs> yeah. don't you yeah but um so i did that and i thought oh do you know what it's painful it's agony but it feels good it feels like where i belong yeah and i started to spend more time out in places like the marshes epping forest and then so so the, the, the chronology here is slightly different so i decided to do these things uh my friend was shot and, and then i decided i need to do more yeah yeah so, so it was a catalyst to yeah, you know, increase just, the intensity yes, of what you're doing. Yes, exactly. And I remember when I decided I, I had to do more, I saw Ben Fogel and James Cracknell on BBC Breakfast saying, oh, we've just rolled across the Atlantic. That's I remember, yeah. Yeah, and, and in the next breath they said, well, we're going to be going to the South Pole and we're looking for a third member to join the team. So I thought, mm, it sounds like they're saying Dwayne, join our team. Anyway, I kind of sat on the idea for a couple of weeks and when I eventually decided to do it it was you know well into selections and I got an email back saying oh unfortunately selections have started we can't include you now it'd be unfair yeah. why don't you consider going to the North Pole instead and I thought actually I'm from Jamaica a pole's a pole they're both covered in ice <laughs> as far as I'm concerned they're the same so I'll do it and <clears throat> I, I applied and I, I applied to this organisation that was going up there and I thought that's it I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this and it was never about being black it was never about being the first I didn't when I decided to do it I didn't know if 50,000 black people have ever done it or if none had ever done it it was just about me making a statement to say uh, I'm the weirdo that likes to do things in the outdoors I like challenging myself I like pushing myself 
I'm standing up now to tell everyone in one file swoop, that's who I am. So when you see me doing weird things, just understand it's me. I didn't want to whisper it, I wanted to shout it. Yeah. So for me, that's what the North Pole was, was going to be about, meant to be about. And then came, you know, that email that says, okay, great, you've been accepted. Now you need to fund it. <laughs> and I was like, ah, oh, right. Let me see how much I've got. And I felt in my pockets that there's nothing but like... It's an, exp- it's an expensive thing, isn't it? It is an expensive thing. I saw that figure of 20, I think it was 22,000 pounds. I was like, oh, God. <laughs> uh, let me read my piggy bank. <laughs> and um, didn't have the money. So I went trying to raise the money. Probably the hardest thing in the entire in the entire phase. But interestingly, of it. the most embarrassing the most <clears throat> embarrassing thing that's ever happened to me happened while I was training for this. So imagine I'm I'm taking on this thing which I'm not quite sure about. I'm a little bit embarrassed by the idea. I'm like, mm, what's this guy from Hackney? Why would I Why are I, you embarrassed about the idea? So I was embarrassed because when I first said I was gonna do it, I told a few people at work and I was working at the bank at the time. I told a few people at work and they were like, yeah, but why? Like, that's not what Jamaicans, Jamaicans don't do the cold. And it was always, but black people don't do the cold. And I kept thinking, yeah, we don't, but you know, it's just a bit of cold and it doesn't make a difference. It's just the environmental condition at that time. And it shouldn't be the reason why not. And I just started to hear a few whispers where people saying, oh, that's not what you're supposed to do. You're not meant to. And then that same little seven-year-old kid that just, learned to toe the line was starting to show itself again so I said you know what don't tell anyone just keep your head down do it secretly Mm. so I didn't shout about it Hi I'm Daniel founder of Pretty Litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain I learned this the hard way after losing my cat Gingy so I created Pretty Litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors saving you money and potentially your cat's life Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to PrettyLitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Until I was ready. Now, I told a local paper because I was fed up of telling people face to face and then kind of ridiculing me, saying, no, nah, that's stupid. Um, you're not going to do it. You're not ready for it. You're not able to do it. You can't complete. I was fed up of hearing that. So I told a local paper that way I didn't have to face anyone. So I was still being a bit cowardly. And I remember the day it came out in the local paper, I was so ready for all the, you know, the people, the backlash, the abuse, the abuse and the ridicule <laughs> and the condemnation of the ideas. So my phone rang and it was a friend of mine saying, are you climbing the North Pole? I turned around. I said, no, idiot. You don't climb the North Pole. It's a place. In the, and I was so railed up and ready for an argument yeah, that yeah. I went straight in full, you know, guns blazing. Idiot. You don't climb the North Pole. And it was an argument before it even started. So um, back to what I was saying, though. The very first thing that I did, it was embarrassing because I didn't want to tell anyone. So I decided I was going to do my training in secret. 
and I thought, right, I need a big space. And I Googled how to train and prep for these things. And you pull tires and, you know, yeah, yeah. running, walking, carrying weights. Long. And I thought, I'm going to do all this stuff at nighttime in Hackney Marshes where no one will see me. <laughs> so I get a couple of tires, tie them to myself, start walking. It starts to ache. And you know, when your training starts to ache, you start feeling a little bit bold. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. working. This training's doing what it's supposed to do. I feel like an Arctic adventurer. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm trekking and I'm taking on the form. And I remember just as I got into that confident place, I walked around the corner. This is along the canal now. And I remember hearing the most terrifying thing ever. It was a group of boys just laughing and giggling. I was like, oh, shit. I don't want to walk past them. They're going to laugh at me. And just as I stopped and I was thinking about turning around, I heard someone say, what's that and what's he doing? I was like, oh, God, they've seen me. There's no, <laughs> there's no escape now. Uh, all you can hear is, yeah. what's that idiot? Yeah. And it, it was like that. Oh. And I was about 30, 40 meters away from these guys. And I had a decision to make. Do I turn around, turn tail and run? Or do I, you know, brace up, grip my teeth and walk past them? And I, and I put my head up, built up my chest. And I decided I was going to walk past these guys. And as I started walking, I heard them laughing and ridiculing and making their jokes and a group of boys cackling is a scary thing and yeah, it's a yeah. terrible thing and it's, it's a thing that builds a weight that seems to just press you down into the floor and these guys were just giggling and laughing and rolling around and patting each other and i'm walking and as i'm getting closer and closer it seems like it's getting louder and it's getting bigger and it's getting more intimidating and it just seemed like it was never going to end and as i walk past them I just looked straight forward because I didn't want to give them anything to have an issue with. I just looked straight ahead and I just got smaller and smaller, man. It was the saddest time in probably the whole preparation for me going to the pole. I got smaller and smaller as I, as I walked away from them because I could just hear them laughing me all the way down into the ground. And that was the point where I decided, okay, Dwayne, no more training in Hackney Marshes. We'll do it. We'll do it at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at Hackney Marshes. We'll do it at one o'clock in Stokey. In, in Clisso Park when the park's closed and there's very few people around and that for me was the most terrible thing that happened in the whole preparation really it's yeah. just the sad thing about that is they they what you did is bigger and better than anything that those people might do yeah hopefully not yeah. hopefully they, I mean hopefully you know. this this was something that they might look at one day and say actually if that clown can do it <laughs> I can do something else or, well. or hopefully yeah. they'll see it and be see what has happened and be like yeah we remember that bloke yeah, yeah. I and mean, we laughed at him yeah, and what yeah, yeah. were we laughing at yeah and do you know what I don't hold it against any of them because I could easily have been that person sat there based on who I was I would have been that person yeah. do you know <laughs> do what I mean know? but based yeah, on yeah. we have to be honest like the person I was when I was 16, 17 I'd laugh at someone doing something different yeah, yeah. not because I felt like it was the right thing to do but because it was the right thing to do within the group setting that we were in it was in. about fitting in yeah exactly and um, so I could easily and I don't hold it against any of them and if they came up to me and said oh I was the one that laughed I'd say do you know what don't worry about it because honestly it did play a part in making me stronger yeah yeah definitely so that's your training yep how long did it go on for the training itself went on for about nine months and then i realized i didn't have the money <laughs> and interestingly they pushed this um this expedition back a year which i was like thank god it's back a year i've got a year to get the rest of the money and um eventually managed to save some of the money used all my student loan um which was meant to be used on books but i used it on that <laughs> um I even took a small loan out just to make sure I had it because I believed in the idea. I believed that this idea was going to play a part in making young people or people that I grew up with. I was thinking really locally. 
I yeah. was thinking Stokey, I want people that I know to say, well, actually, if he can do that, I can aspire to be more than maybe what, what, what we're currently aspiring to be. Yeah. So for me, it had to happen. And it had to happen also because so many people said I couldn't, wouldn't, and shouldn't do it. And I wanted to make sure that I proved every single one of them wrong. Awesome. So you're training. Yep. How, so eventually you got the money together. Yep, yep. You've got the training done. Yes. You're feeling ready to go to the, <laughs> yes. the, the Arctic Circle. Yes. The ice cap. Yep, yep. Let's, let's pick it up from there. <laughs> All right, so I'm feeling ready to go now. It's, it's a couple of days before you bought I your kit. Out. I've got, got, all your got all the kit, got all the equipment. You practice packing it. Practice packing it. <laughs> I'm ready to go. I've a tent routines, got those down. Yeah, yeah. A lot of that in, in Hyde Park, practice that. Um, perfect place to practice for the Arctic <laughs> um, in the middle of summer. But it was, it was, do you know what? I felt, I felt ready more mentally than I did physically and in any other way. I, I was in a place where I was ready for this now. This was the time where I was going to put my stamp on what I want to be in life and what I want to do in life. So anyway, we get to the airport and we fly out to um, Ottawa and then we fly progressively further and further north yep. and smaller and smaller and more shaking. The, the airplanes, they were getting worse and worse, man. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, if I make it through this, I'll definitely get to the pole. It's not a problem. <laughs> and we get to Resolute Bay and it's just this, basically it's a porter cabin. It's a couple of porter cabins stuck together in the middle of, um, uh, in the middle of, basically in, in within the arctic circle yeah and i remember thinking i'm actually in the arctic and i mean during the whole time that i was preparing i was i was googling stuff you know extensive research which is like five minutes on google <laughs> yeah and um i remember thinking okay i remember the first person the first black person to do this which you you tend to form parallels between you and someone you are looking at as an example of the thing that you're about yeah. to do don't you so i was like the first black person to do this he did it a hundred years ago and this is where he started from and i'm looking around thinking wow oh huskies oh good inuits oh good i'm in the arctic i'm i'm actually here now the hard part's done i just need to walk uh, 400 plus miles in that direction and i'll <laughs> be there. and i just remember being in a really really happy place man i remember just thinking this feels like what I'm supposed to be doing. Awesome. What time of year was it? Uh, it was April. Okay, so April. yeah, yeah. So it was uh, springtime. The sun was out full time. It was... It was Pack working. ice is well and truly yes, solid. Yes, it's though, solid. It? It's well in there. And I just remember thinking, man, it's going to be daylight at midnight. <laughs> uh, none of my friends have seen this. And I, everything that I looked at, I just said, that's new snow. Nobody else has seen that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I was so excited about the whole thing. How did, he, how did it all start? The, as in the trek the trek it's, itself started so we walked we walked a, about a day and a half outside of Resolute Bay generally in a northerly direction and um, I remember we were lined up so the race is to commemorate uh, Matthew Henson Robert Perry which were the first people to arrive at the at the North Pole the yep. magnetic North Pole so we get to the official start line and there's a shotgun to see us off and me and my two teammates who I love to bits now um, we start walking and we said, right, we're going to walk that way across the open ocean, frozen ocean. And I was walking, I was like, ooh, I'm walking on frozen ocean. And I got back into this kid place where I was this young kid and everything was fantastic. And I remember we were walking across the ocean and I was thinking, oh, I wonder if this ice is thick enough. I hope it is. I've heard lots of stories about global warming. I hope it doesn't happen today. <laughs> and I remember we saw polar bears and I was like, oh God, I'm seeing polar bears in the wild. Wow. And every... 
Look, Jason, every single aspect of this trip was an amazing thing for me. Yeah. We walked, we spent 16, 17 hours a day walking. Um, initially, I hated them, to be honest. <laughs> I, 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 I'll tell you well, what. So yeah, let's talk I about loved, the dynamics. Come I love them. So it was my teammate, Phoebe. Uh, sorry, I'm thinking about my current Phoebe, yeah. teammate, Phoebe. So it was my teammate, Linda and Ali. Right. Now, we, we, we formed this team purely by accident. I joined their team. And initially in training, we were great. I loved them to bits. But what it was, when we set out for the first couple of days, we were eating food, which it wasn't the same food that we were using in preparing in training. We kind of swapped at the last minute. Mm-hmm. So I was eating less. And as you know, when you're out and you're burning calories, like on both ends. You were you shredding need, up. I was, man, <laughs> I, was, I was getting lean. Yeah. And you need to eat as much as you're using I wasn't doing that for the first three days I I probably was about 2,000 calories down by day four I was suffering I was stumbling and I was walking slowly and I started to do this thing where I was blaming them for packing my polk rock which was stupid because I packed my polk (laughs) (laughs) I was like you guys packed packed extra weight in my polk they're like but Dwayne you packed it I was like yes well you allowed me to pack extra (laughs) weight in my polk and um, it just it was really tough and I remember it was like day six or seven we're walking and we're about, we're out in the middle of the ocean basically. And I remember looking at the horizon as much as I could see of it anyway. And I stopped, I was at the front because that's the best way to avoid people when you're stuck in a group. Yeah, yeah. You go to the front, you're looking that way, you don't need to see them. And every time I'd look back, I'd think, I wonder if a polar bear's got one of them. And I'd look, oh, damn, they're both there. <laughs> and um, yeah, Not yet. And um, I remember I stopped because for the first time I realized, hold on, these are the only two people in the current world that I'm in. So I need to be closer to them. I need to, you know, not be so hard on them and hard on myself by not being closer to them. And I remember at that moment, I kind of said, guys, look at it. You can't see anything. And from there, we were just so close. Nothing else that you could fart in the tent. It was like that minute of realization where you knew that the team had to pull together. Because otherwise you're going to do it. And it's... It's not as fun when no, you're not. on your own. No, no, it's not. It really isn't. And it's so easy to go into this place where it's head down, face to front, check the compass, check the map, check the GPS every now and then, and, and carry on. But it's not enjoyable if you do it that way. No, I totally get that. Just for the people that are listening, yep. you're on skis? Yes. Uh, so as much as people think, uh, Dwayne, you must be a good skier. I'm a rubbish skier. I can I can make it on cross-country skis. I can probably make it down a slope. Generally, I'm not a great skier. Um, I was walking about 90% of the way to the pole. Yeah. I reckon about 350, 360 miles of it, I walked. And the rest of it was just it, scooting skied, along a little I, bit. Yes, shuffled along on skis. Tried to make it look like I knew what I was doing. You're pulling a polk, which is a sledge a or yeah, a sled, about, whatever you want to call yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a purpose-built sled, uh, which... It, that's exactly what it is the yeah. same thing you'd pull your kid along when on a snowy day is you, exactly what it was you're carrying all your sleeping system so your sleeping bag your mat sleeping you bag your cooking mat, stuff cooking gear, gas or fuel um fuel yep yep so we worked out how much fuel we'd need we'd pack all of that stuff the clothing extra clothes um batteries equipment food um you name it if we needed it to survive we were pulling it along behind us and the food's heavy as well when you when you think about how much you needed in the beginning that yep. polk at the beginning yeah yeah i mean do you know how heavy it was um it was in the region of about 100 kilos uh just under 100 kilos um so that's 300 kilos or so between the three of us i'd say that's a pretty well-packed polk yeah, yeah. for how many how many days did you we were out there for 22 days 
22 days 22 worth of food days. is a lot and the fuel needed the fuel was probably the most um, expensive thing in terms of weight yeah um, we were packing roughly a litre per person per day plus um, plus a few extra um, for any issues the shotgun radio batteries um, I I'm trying to think what else I packed yeah yeah when you when you've weighed it all up you put your bag on there and weigh it, it it's pretty close to about 100 kilos <laughs> which is heavy which is mad heavy man that's more than i <laughs> when you're pulling it yeah 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 <laughs> the first 10 minutes it feels great but after about an hour it's like oh god i'm suffering so 22 days yes you you're shredded up by this stage yeah, lean so, as so i was never really a weighty guy i've never really had much mass uh, <laughs> but what i found was i started to see i, I was able to count some extra bones from the outside <laughs> yeah. of my body I'd, like up here on my chest and you know i could see one or two like what's this bone called oh the Do old you know? the old clavicle yeah the clavicle i was just testing you i knew it was no, <laughs> is that the clavicle <laughs> I think it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know. Some, someone will correct us if we're wrong. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I could see it clearly. I could see some of my ribs clearly. Um, but I felt, I felt good. I felt good. And the environments, I mean, f- for the people listening, mm-hmm. explain to us yes. what it's like when you get to the North Pole. Oh, gosh. It's the greatest anticlimax you will ever experience. <laughs> you are in the most beautiful environment you could imagine the sun glistens off the snow and it looks like just billions of diamonds reflecting back it just looks like it the snow it's got this magical look about it It sounds so unicorny but it's just it's it's a beautiful environment the sky when the light shines through the sky you get the most beautiful colors breaking down you and all of that reflecting off the ground and coming back up and then you look up and it's like purples and oranges and green greens and blues it's it's amazing it'll be like that for the whole day and then you're walking 100 miles is gone 200 300 400 and you get to the place which is your your target and you look at that patch of ice and you're like right that patch of ice looks exactly the same as the patch of ice 50 miles back that way 300 miles back. we could have blanked yeah, we it just, yeah we could have just sat outside of town and just pretended to have made it but um it's that sense of achievement isn't it i remember i remember while i was walking i was gassing myself up i was saying you know when you get there there's going to be confetti and when i felt weak i'd say oh there's going to be a crowd and there's going to be fireworks and they're gonna, it's going to be great when you arrive there and you get there and it's just a patch of snow on a gray miserable day oh was it a gray but day it was a gray miserable day oh, no, I, I used the word miserable it was miserable and i remember the wind was blowing and it cleared, it did clear just for a moment on the day that we arrived there. But for me, it wasn't about that bit of snow in the ground. It was about all the people that didn't think they could, didn't think they should, didn't think they would, didn't mm. think I would, should or could. It was about saying to them, look, I did it, which I've means done you it, can yeah. do it. And it means you were wrong. And if you're wrong about me, then you might be wrong about other things as well. I mean, that's awesome. What I, The thing I like about the North Pole is you're basically at the top of the world. Yeah, you are. So when you think about the f- the world is pretty much spinning on that point. Yeah, yeah. You're spinning around quicker than anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, ah, why aren't yeah. you dizzy? Why am I d- <laughs> 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 no, it's, it was, it was, <clears throat> there's a place just beyond it, which is about a day or so beyond it called Isaacson Mine. Creepiest place in the world, man. And that's where there's a runway where, where, where we got picked up from. Right. And there's like maybe eight or nine porter cabins i think they used to mine stuff there or do weather stations or some some something then back in the 80s 
they had a call that just said pack up and leave and you can look through windows now and they're still closed left in some really? cabins and as you're walking through every now and then you get the sense that you're being watched you're like what was that and you'd look and underneath the port cabins there's a gap so you're like oh i wonder if something's under there watching me but it's the creepiest place but all of these just added to the to the kind of atmosphere of the place beautiful awesome. amazing scary place what was the hardest thing that whole trip i mean it was 400 miles that's a pretty yeah. that's a feat in itself without the snow without the ice without the temperature you, i didn't get a single blister um, so I had almost survivor's remorse or whatever you want to call it when I watched my teammates binding their feet every night I was like well maybe I can just put a bit of tape on here just so I can be part of the team <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't have a single um, I didn't get a single blister the hardest part of the whole thing was I found this this little baby muskox yeah which is for anyone that doesn't know it's like a it's like a buffalo it looks like a buffalo but it's more closely related to like sheep and goat but it's huge they can weigh up to 400 kilos Big, big hairy big things, isn't they? Thing, yeah. Big dark brown hairy thing. I found a baby one stuck on a ledge, and I'm always finding these animals that need rescuing. And I remember I climbed up on this ledge and I rescued this animal, and I pushed him back up to the top. And I thought, yeah, he's going to run off and join the herd. But then he just rushed back down and he knocked me down. We both fell back. And at that moment, he just programmed himself to me. If I took a step to the left, he would take a step to the left. And every now and then it tried to feed. And I was like, look, I can't feed you because I don't have the thing that needs, that, that's needed to feed. And I remember the hardest part of the whole trip was it was only a few days old. And by day two, day three, it started to fall behind. It was crying and it was struggling to keep up with us. And I remember hearing this thing crying for an hour or so, maybe even more, while we were walking away from it because we couldn't stop for it. Yeah, yeah. And we contemplated just putting a round in its head and just putting it out of its misery. <laughs> but then it's like, let nature take its course. We might, you know, it might be lucky enough to find its, to find its herd. And emotionally, it was so tough for me to let that little, yeah. to hear that little animal crying in the background as we're walking away from it. And it felt, it, it was a really, really difficult thing to do. Mm. It, was, it was, I don't know why it was so difficult because... <laughs> It was an animal, but for me, it was. I was in a position, uh, a position of responsibility for this animal. Yeah. Well, the animal looked to looked, looked to you, to didn't me. it? Yeah, yeah. It looked to me as this guy is my carer. He's my, and I thought everything about me. I try and be a decent human being. Yeah. And by me abandoning this this animal, does that make me less of a decent human being? And I started to think about a lot of different things, man. And that was diff- That was really tough for me. Ooh. Yeah, I, I, I get that. Yeah. I'm an, I'm an, I'm I'm big I'm 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 a big animal fan. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um the North Pole's done. Yeah. Did I mean you mentioned it earlier, was it to do with ethnicity? Was it cuz you you are, you know, the first black Briton to have done it? Was it all about that or was it more about the naysayers? For me, Jace, when I first decided, when I said yes, I'm going to do it, I didn't think about color most of my life I've never uh, colour is never something that comes into my mind you know no. what I mean my best friend in, in, in school was an Irish kid and a Greek boy um, they've been my best friends for years Stavros he's still my best friend up to today mm-hmm. um, the first time I'd eaten at anyone's house it was an Asian kid first time I ate at anyone's house in this country was an Asian kid um, I have 
people in my family from all over. I found out two years ago, my great grandfather is white and Scottish. Um, for me, it was, I know, I know, I know. Um, so I'm gonna start wearing, I'm, I think I'm allowed to wear a kilt now. I don't know if I've got the legs for it. You just need think, to find out the clan yeah, and then yeah. you can get it on, yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna do some digging. But I, I don't know if my legs are kilt legs. I might have to bulk up like thinking I'm socks might, or something. I haven't got kilt legs either. Yeah, no, well, I might not even. I might not follow the the, the kilt <laughs> the kilt route then. But um, for me, it was never about. It was never about being the first black or the only black or one black. It was just I want to do this to show people around me um, that actually you don't need to be limited by the things that you've seen done. Yeah. You can actually reach beyond what you've seen and, and try and do something which is a little bit abstract and a little bit abnormal because. Many of my friends yeah, We're all individuals though Aren't we, we are. in the end It doesn't need to be about Any of no, that It's just like yeah. If you can do it And you want to do it Go and do it If you can do it And you want to do it Exactly Go and do it And for me it was like I just want to carve out A new route man hmm. uh, I don't care about you If you're black White Green You can be whatever colour you are If you're a cool person I can I can, uh, We can chill And um, So when I When I first said I was going to do this And I you know Started doing the research Like I said 10 minutes on Google and I found this this guy, Matthew Henson, who's the first person apparently to walk there. I thought to myself, well, actually, that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's all I thought. That's pretty cool. I didn't think he's black. I'm black. It's cool. And it's just as I read more, this guy was estranged from his parents. And I, I hadn't spoken to my mom for years at that point. Um, I've spoken to you more in the last minute than I have my dad my whole life. So, I, you know, I'm estranged from my parents. Yeah. Um, this guy's really good with his hands. He, he's a carpenter. I'm pretty good with my hands. I build things, too. Um, and Decent start, mopeds. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When <laughs> once I've test driven it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that was it for me. It was more looking at this guy and saying he's a good role model. He's a good example of what you can do. Remember, he was a black man doing this back in 1909, and for him, the challenges must have been huge. So I somehow just equated his challenges to mine. Maybe the, 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 the fractions were a little bit smaller in my case, but. The fact is, I look to this person as someone who's going through or had gone through something that I was now hoping to go yeah, through, yeah. and he happened to be black. My biggest role model in life was David Attenborough. Yeah. I was lucky enough to meet him. No way. Uh, yeah, man, I was lucky enough to meet him. Awesome. He's my biggest role model. It's never been about colour, and a lot of what I do now is built around inner city young people yeah. who live on estates and who are going through difficult times, and they tend to be black, younger black kids because aspirations within the black diaspora seems to be geared in a direction which isn't focused on the outdoors yeah and many of us we come from heritage heritages where um the outdoors was part and parcel of yeah of, of course life. yeah and i just want to bring that community back to it if possible like a reconnect yeah man reconnect listen you have the most fun the health benefits the um the joys the pleasure the mental health all these things are positives that you get from being in the yep. outdoors and i think they can it can be part of the arsenal that we use to tackle all the the, the youth violence i think it, i think it's the main weapon for tackling it really because then i mean i i live in london yeah, yeah. but my my savior whenever anything sort of gets a bit too much is yeah. to get out 
yeah. and and like go out with it, whether it's friends or on my own and just reconnect with yeah. with the great outdoors. There's something that you get out there as well. It's that mm. little moment of peace, isn't it? It's yeah, like, oh, yeah. I can breathe again. Um, it's not so loud. There isn't so much ambient noise. I'm not so stressed. It's just it's a it's a space where you're free to just be the real version of yourself. You don't have to have this bravado. You don't have to put on this front, and yeah. you don't have to put on masquerade as being extra tough for a moment. You're just just be yourself. The funny thing is, is like all these young kids are, they're looking for purpose and they're looking to belong to something. But actually, yes. uh, our purpose as humans and what we belong to is the great outdoors. Absolutely. And I yeah, think that's why students. it feels good. Yeah, man. I mean, there's, I've taken hundreds of young people out into, out, you know, the woodland areas and the experience is always the same. They come back saying, oh, that was cool, isn't it? <laughs> nah, I feel alright And I've had people wake up in the morning Coming out of their tent saying I didn't sleep I had a crap night's sleep How'd you feel? Nah, I feel good though I feel alright <laughs> yeah. And it's that I don't have to look over my shoulders today yeah, I don't have yeah. to worry about You know What's going to happen in my estate Or the estate Or the kids down the road Yeah so um, it's it's a positive all round. That's awesome. I mean, that's awesome. Yeah. But what's what's next? Oh, there's man. big things, isn't there, on um, the horizon? So there's a couple of things on the horizon. Thanks for asking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, as of the middle of uh, November this year, me and my teammate Phoebe Smith, amazing woman, we're going to be doing a walk from a place called Dunnet Head, which is northern Scotland, north coast of Scotland, yeah, yeah, all the way down to Lizard Point in Cornwall. Uh, we're doing that all through Christmas to one raise awareness of some of the things that's happening here in the UK, some of the um, initiatives taking place up and down the country yep. or the United Kingdom, also to raise awareness and money for our trip across Antarctica next year, um, which we've entitled Penguins to Pole. Because I would challenge you to find me an animal with a tougher life than a penguin. I don't think there is. I don't think there is either. I think it's great that we we have so many great ambassadors for the world of adventure and I think we just need to open it up a little bit more and make the industry much bigger actually can be only benefit yeah, the world definitely. And I think if we get more people loving the world we'll get more people working to protect it for future generations my kids your kids and you know everyone else to, to follow us um, and also we're going to be so, so that's next year we're doing the Antarctic yep. Crossing and interestingly we've mapped it so the route from Dunnet Head to Lizard Point will be um, roughly the same distance that we'll be covering in Antarctica, which is 1,300 or so kilometers. Awesome. Um, yeah. And the following year, we're going to take 20 young people from across the UK to Antarctica so they can set foot on the Greek continent themselves. That is awesome. Yeah. I've never been there. I want to go. Nah. Well, you can qualify as one of the young people. Can't, yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah. know about that. <laughs> I live in London. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I'm that's, in, see, in that's a city. Cool. Yeah, no, that's cool. We, we'll, we'll, we'll sneak you under the radar. Somehow. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. I, I look young. Yeah, you look, you do. You yeah, look, how old are you? 22? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a look of um, humour on his face at the moment. No, th this is my serious face. This right, is yeah. My, yeah, this is my serious face. <laughs> well, mate, it's been awesome. So, Penguins to Pole. Penguins to Pole. You is can the check us next out one. On, yeah, so if you want to know more about that, you can just go to teamwe2.com. Teamwe2.com. Yeah. Um, and all the, all the information about that's up there. Um, yeah, man. It's Mate, just, that's just, awesome. Yeah, listen. you're an inspirational guy, no, and man, I've you. mega enjoyed it. Uh, do you know what? Thanks a lot. And I just, I think, giving me this opportunity to talk to you and maybe talk to listeners as well, I think it's great because I just want more people to get out there and just get over that inhibition of maybe there's people out there that don't look like me or come from. Forget all that yeah, crap, yeah. man. I've never had a bad experience in the outdoors. Yeah, it's cold. Yeah, it's miserable, but that doesn't make it bad. Um, it's always just been brilliant positive experiences mate you're awesome thanks a lot it's been a pleasure to meet you Absolutely thanks pleasure. a lot mate thank Cheers. you
This podcast is supported by Talisker, the single malt whiskey who are a brilliant brand with a message of reconnecting with the great outdoors, which is what we're all about. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and follow me and the Book of Man on Instagram and follow hashtag Jason Fox Wild Tales for the latest news. And I'll see you all later. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. <laughs> 